Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Greetings, greetings, and greetings. You know, every now and then I want to say it more than once. Thank you for joining me today for this week's edition of the Paula Price Show on Block Talk Radio. Yay! Five years. Yeah, I'm going to keep saying that because I'm excited. I didn't get my five-year celebration. I didn't get my balloons. I didn't get any well-wishing. You guys, y'all, come on here. I want five years or something that I did, right? Um, testimony, what, it, what the show has done for me over the last five years. I want something. You know, sometimes if you don't push to remember, we, we get drowned in the sea of life because life just keeps going on. So I just want to say I, you know, you all owe me a celebration. I already told my producer, I said, you owe me a celebration. She said, yeah, right. Got that. Had it down, too. I said, well, can we do it? You know, appreciate this woman. And I appreciate all of you. I mean, we wouldn't have made it five years if it wasn't for you. You all make this so much fun and so exciting. So I, I, I have something special for you today. I'm going to do special. <laughs> and in a few minutes, Chief Prophet Tyler Price, our Wednesday warrior prophet, will be joining me. And we're going to talk about something that's going to be a little bit controversial. Hey, imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Me doing controversial. But before we do, I want to invite you to go to my website and just click in and register for this year's Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute. Just click on it and register. If you are a group, bring a group. If you're a class, bring a class. If you are a trainer, bring a trainer. If you're a chief prophet, you definitely want to show up and bring your people because this year we are rolling out the office, the ministry, and the mantle of the chief prophet because, you know, we do a lot of things under the ecclesial uh, umbrella that really – we don't explain. We just, you know, we just keep throwing something new. Hey, something new on the menu. Hey, the blue plate special's gone. Now we have something else. We've got a red plate special. So let me invite you. It's this month, June. Never fails. It's, it, 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 it never fails. It's June 20. This next month. Don't come in May though, because we won't be ready. <laughs> come in June. <laughs> we'll be ready. But go online and click it and say. I will be there. I'm bringing my team. If you're a leader, bring your team. The, the area of the, or the environment of spirituality is real. It's not going away, and everybody's doing it for us but us. And the world is handling it from an action standpoint. We still are handling it from a thought and a communication standpoint. And so we don't realize that communication has a purpose. They have, it has a, an objective, and that objective is to speak into someone's hearing something to be acted upon. You know, we treat communications in one vein, and that is that it's, that it's social. But when we talk about 
divine communications, which we do with the Lord and what we're doing in the prophetic and obviously in the church, when we talk about divine communications, we're not talking about idle chatter. As a matter of fact, Jesus condemned idle chatter. And he said that a person would give an account of every idle word that they let come out of their mouth. Now, I'm sure that there's more to that than just a matter of saying, you know, something idle and, you know, wanting to duck so you don't want the hand of God's judgment to fall upon you. But it, it was said in a context, and it was said from the purpose and the vantage point of understanding that words birth action, and then words direct action. Words instruct us on action. And, and what the church has done, and you've heard me talk about it and previously on prophetic ed, you can go back to all of my prophetic ed teachings and, and, and get this, but the Greco-Roman model is about chatter. It's more about idle chatter. We're going to talk about foreknowledge. We're going to talk about the future, the end, idle chatter. But that is not how God does it. And I found um, some material um, that I've been studying from one of my resources who, who actually says the same thing. I was stunned when it says, we must not think that the Hebrew language defines, and I'm paraphrasing it, defines the prophetic the way the Greeks do. The Greeks are about chatter, just chatter, 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 idle chatter. We're just going to, you know, everybody will be wowed, you know, we're going to be wowed over somebody's um, prediction of the future or declaration of knowledge that is not commonplace or widely known. So I, I was thinking about that, and, and I'm going through this. I, I won't be able to give you anywhere near this, but we're going to discuss it. It's going to be great today. Great show. Great show. I expect it to be because God is going to talk about this. My I named it the chief prophet because God spoke to me this week. He said, I want you to start dealing with and establishing the office of the chief prophet. But in order to do that, we have to talk about why it got lost. How did it get lost? And so in this study, this material that I am reading, we talk about how it got, studied, got lost, but we also talk about what that chief prophet did and what it looks like. We, you know, I hear people, because, you know, today, you can't even say chief anything in the church, because the church has been raised on this whole lateral mentality. We're all the same in Christ. We're all equal in Christ. And you know what? They are correct. We are all the same in Christ. We're all equal in Christ. We are not all employed at the same way or delegated equal authority. I want you to write that down. We are the same in Jesus Christ. We're all his children. We're all the family of the Godhead. We are, we're all equal as children. And that means at home. And when we say equal, even that's a little bit, little bit sketchy because in home life, you have the eldest and you have the youngest and you have a bunch in between. I mean, how do we come up with middle child syndrome except that everybody wasn't equal at home? So, that's a little bit sketchy, but I'm going to tell you where false, this false doctrine came from, this false church structure came from, this false institution came from, how we shifted from uh, the, the, the Bible's divine order to man's divine order. And now, and help you understand how Jesus wrestled so much with the commandments of men. 
human commandments. For example, you know, I going back, I want to say maybe 15 years ago or so, I was studying the Levitical priesthood and studying the order, but I didn't know that the priesthood was hijacked, that the entire Levitical order was hijacked. Well, we know that it was pushed out by Jeroboam because Jeroboam put everybody who was uh, a priest according to the order of um, Aaron the line of Aaron, he put them out. Come on in, trees. We were waiting for you. Oh, okay. Come on in. I said, I said 1107, so I said, I'll come in. <laughs> so we were all, you know, so we know Jeroboam fired the priest, fired the Levitical priesthood, and put in his place pagan priests. You all don't know that, but it's in the Bible. You look up Jeroboam, you'll find out that he actually fired the Levitical priest and the Levites, the entire order, he fired it, he cast it out, and what he did was he put priests of demons. Now, the, the king's account won't say that, but the chronicle's account said that he put priests of the demons of high places. Jeroboam did that, and he did that because he did not want people to go to the true and living God. He, he did it as a panic, knee-jerk reaction because of his inferiorities and his insecurities. So what he did was he said, you don't have to travel all the way to, to Jerusalem. You can go over here, over here Bethel. You can go over here at, at some, Gilgal or wherever else he put them. And he put local, local, hear me, local temples. And so the head temple, the headquarters temple, only the true went to that. And eventually the true wandered off because Satan always comes with the convenience. You don't have to go that hard. It's not that deep. It's not that whatever. So he uses convenience and he uses liberty. Okay. You know God too. They don't know any more than you. I mean, God doesn't make a distinction between us. And so we have to stop thinking in bundles. And we're going to have to start thinking um, in, in uh, context. So. Yes, we're all God's children. We all came from him. You know, this is my youngest child, but I have an older child. And then we have a second older child whose birthday was this week. Happy birthday, daughter. But I want you to know that just because we are all of the same family, the same family tree, God does not employ or engage us all equally to do the same thing. If he did, a lot of what he needed when he caused us to come into existence would go undone, unattended. See, there's a, a ill logic. I told you, we talked last week about the logic of the rhema, of the logic versus the rhema. You understand, a lot of that rhetoric that you all are running on rhetoric that doesn't line up, doesn't conform to the logic of the Almighty, the Logos, which is his word, which is Jesus Christ. But having said that, don't want to get ahead of myself. No, that's I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> getting fed. <laughs> are you all getting fed? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm, I told them I'm, talk, I'm working on a course for Christ University mm -hmm. called the Office of the Chief Prophet. It will come under our Prophetic Ed Institute mm -hmm. uh, that sent the part for Prophetic Ed. God has hot on me getting prophetic head back up there. I, I don't even know. Yeah. But he wants prophetic head done. And so I'm creating the class, starting with the chief prophet. Now, many of you know, I addressed the chief prophet briefly in my book, the prophet's handbook. It's in the back. It's the second half of the book. 
and I briefly addressed it. However, I have a more thorough treatment of it in our prophetic service manual because I wrote a governing document for prophetic companies. And so, uh, and we're, we're finishing it up. We should have it ready for you by September, October of this year. But we are, it's something that I realized I couldn't just right out of my head. We had to live it and, and experience it. So that's already exciting. So I want to talk about the chief prophet because we are going to present that at the event this year. Yay! Because she gets to teach the class first. I'm going to record it, but she gets to teach it live. Yes. And she does so well with my material. However, we were having a conversation yesterday on the telephone, and you're putting together the class. The name of the class you're putting together. Oh, this is for Divine Order and Kingdom Government. All right, so she's putting one of our core classes for Price University. So she's doing divine order and kingdom government, because I have a lot of material on kingdom government. And if you haven't read divine order, you you need to get it, because it does lay out what God had in mind, divine order. Now, we have heard over and over and over again from the time I got in the body of Christ that we need to be in divine order. Mm -hmm. And so we all say, well, yeah, we need to be in divine order. And so divine order, first of all, is a very biased, subjective um, term because it's based on congregation. So this congregation called, what this congregation calls divine order may or may not be what this congregation calls divine order or this network or this this denomination. So we, but we, hey, we all, double saints we are, we all took it by faith. We did. They told us divine order. And divine order, we didn't take it by faith. Well, no, I didn't take it by faith, but I'm trying, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm oh, using, appealing. Yeah, this is the, the you know, the royal wish. <laughs> <laughs> so we're appealing. We're appearing. To, we're what? You know, we're all one in Christ. Remember, we started this out with that conversation. That's right. Now, I couldn't take it because I couldn't find what they call divine order in the Bible, even though millions and millions of books and and. Uh, audio teachings and video teachings and magazine articles have been written on it. What I found out, and you're going to be a little stunned today, but what I found out way back in time is that man hijacked Jesus Christ church. The commandments of men literally hijacked his church. They stole his church. They robbed his kingdom. And I did not know that. Nobody could have made me even think that. Because when we see a person in authority, we assume that they're in authority with integrity. We assume that they're in authority with ethics, that there's a morality there, that there's a righteousness there. We assume that they're, that they're in authority and they're loyal to Jesus Christ. And it blew my mind, literally took me to another place to realize that an entire counter-institution rose up to rival scripture yes. and, to, and to redefine and redesign divine order according to the, the, the dictates or commandments of men. I was not ready. I'm telling you people, I was so not ready. You're not ready. Because mm-hmm. we, we who are loyal to Christ cannot imagine that there are people who are, I mean, rank rebellion and rank, this was insurrection. This was, and it was so subtle and it was so um, deceptive. You almost didn't know it happened. And this thing goes back, not to just here, to the 18th, 16th century. And so God is ready to take back his kingdom. He said his son needs some of his own folks is what wow. he wants. 
So she and I were talking yesterday, and she happened upon the same discovery that I had. So she told me she'll pop in for a few minutes to share her discovery about how the church was hijacked from its head. Because the Bible said we must hold to the head, which is Christ. So now let's find out, because if that's the case, then are we operating on a false Christ? Are we, if we're operating on a counterculture, are we operating on a false Christ where the sovereign Christ steps in anonymously to, to keep his plan going, but knowing that this is not his order? And so let's talk about it. Divine order today is called pastor first. Is that right? Pastors first, pastors second, pastors last. I have been. You might have an elder. Okay, we can have. Oh, we can have an elder. Elder. One or two. Okay. Well, it's about one and a half, and then four. Okay, so we can have pastors and elders, and what was the third one? Deacons. Now, hear me, because when she's done, I am going to walk through that and cut that up for you, so that you can ingest it in a way that is useful. Well, you know, here's where I am. I have tried to beat the complaint. I now know why I couldn't fit that order. I now I know why I couldn't fit with half of those things because that was not God. Divine order is not God. So you're going to give what you found. I'm opening it up and giving it to you. Go ahead, girl. Make mama look good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, uh, putting together the curriculum for the course, um, you know, uh, we wanted the, we obviously here at Price University, we're not just doing this by our sheer whim, our, our spiritual experiences, and the anointing that's on our lives. We want to uh, create a curriculum that is comprehensive. What's great about having a founder like Dr. Price is that she is a researcher. Mm. You believe in studying, okay? In showing ourselves approved, studying. I don't know if we ever just looked at the word study. Right? But the reality is that we really want to study. And people often are shocked when they come into our program. They're kind of expecting, a, you know, just a glorified uh, church. And, uh, church service and, and all of that. But they have to do research and they have to be well-versed. And not only what we're teaching and, and not only what God has given, but well-versed in even what is out there, mm -hmm. you know, the present uh, day. So in this course, uh, it's all about divine order and kingdom government. And so we are doing a comparative analysis between what is called kingdom government and church government. And so in pulling those pieces together and doing the research of the history of church government, where it got started, uh, which comes under the heading of ecclesiology, the study of church government, um, and putting all of those pieces together, what I discovered, I'm, <laughs> I'm in the middle of doing this lecture and really just hits me because uh, the book Divine Order is based, the foundation is based on reconnecting the church back with the divine. So when she mentioned the hijacking piece, I could see actually how that happened because we have separated the church literally from the divine and uh, nature of Jesus Christ, the divine reality of who he is. So we separated him from the head. Because when we say, you know, the church has been separated from the head, they'll say, no, we're following Christ. We're following the teachings of Christ. We're following the message of Christ. So we're not separated from the head. We're being led and guided by the scriptures. But I recognize now when we go back and, and we're dealing with these conflicts and trying to answer these issues that what we've separated ourselves from is that divine nature of, of Jesus. People want to work on the historical Jesus. You know that you always dealt with the, you know, us basing the whole church experience, the whole Christian experience in that 33 and a half years, okay, and that being a problem. And so now we recognize that, you know, human government hijacked uh, Jesus, uh, the church from Jesus Christ and his commission from him from having an eternal objective to now trying to meet human objectives. 
Mm-hmm. So that is, is that as, very, they, as they change. At, right, of course, according to every generation, mm-hmm. every coral, uh, every culture, and every new moral. So we have that issue. And so when you study ecclesiology and how the denominations, you know, separated from that core foundation coming out of mm-hmm. orthodoxy in the Catholic Church, you get to see what, how that happened, you know, over the centuries. And I told Dr. Price that the main conflict that the students are having to address between that local church government and kingdom government and them even bringing mm-hmm. the ecclesia down over local church is they start the foundation or they base the structure, the biblical structure of the current model of the church, they base it on Timothy when it talks about the bishops, the deacons, and the elders, and they completely ignore uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, mm-hmm. and 29, and Ephesians 4, 11. Mm-hmm. That never, in all of the study on ecclesiology that we've done, a lot of the research that we put together uh, uh, for the course, uh, it doesn't come up. Anybody mm-hmm. who's talking about church government, it really doesn't come up. Now, it's, we have certain charismatic sects that, are, that believe in this and that are trying to, mm-hmm. of course, push the whole concept of apostleship and all of that. But I'm talking about when we, when we deal with our main denominations and a lot of what's in the mainstream understanding of how church needs to go. And even some of our uh, 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 charismatic and even apostolic prophetic people who are confused mm-hmm. um, because they're trying to take the apostolic and prophetic model, model and adapt it to what is that standing church model. And so I told her that divine order really is coming against a, an entrenched tradition because of where the point in scripture of where they start. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when you think about the headship of the church and from an Ephesians 2.20 standpoint, right, mm-hmm. you have the apostle, the prophet, and the chief cornerstone. Exactly. exactly. And all of that, Ephesians 2.20, Ephesians 4.11, and 1 Corinthians, none of it ever comes up as, and this is what they say, you cannot set up a church outside of what the Bible has established. Mm-hmm. And yet, they do. They, now, think about it. If you say if it's First Timothy, because what is that? First Timothy three, three, three. Yes. So First Timothy three has usurped First Corinthians twelve twenty eight and Ephesians four eleven has usurped it. Hear me. And that and when I I was in uh, Chicago in the mid nineties, and and as I was there, because that's how you know. So some, and even before this goes back to the medieval times, I'll tell you about that. But I was there, and they were talking about spiritual gifts and congregations and the church and all of that. And what this is, is this is a, a you know, um, a diatrophies move. You know, diatrophies put the apostles out. Apostle John, that's second John. Uh, no, I'm sorry, wrong. Third John. The second John is in late late. And you go there, and the apostle is shut out, and his entire whatever shut out, and he founded that church. And so the pastors uh, did the same thing. So the pastors decided, hey, I'm with the people every day. I have them, and who are you? And I'm just as good as you. See, that spirit goes back long before even medieval days, and that's scripture. So that's number one. Number two, they talk about error. There is nothing in the Bible that says God gave the church to pastors. There's not one scripture, not one. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4.11 says that the order in Ephesians 4.11 is for the, until we all come into the unity of the faith. It didn't say pastors. And when I read, it's good to see that she's done her own research, but when I read that, I still wasn't prepared to think, are you telling me, God? 
Are you telling me, Lord Jesus Christ, are you really telling me that this whole counter order rose up as an as adversarial, oppositional institution against your divine order and calls itself divine order? And if it calls itself divine order, then we need to find out the Christ that motivated it. And we also need to discuss what God is it following. Because it can't be following. Now, I've been saying, I, you know, when you, when you started, you know, God, when he did this way, that he said, if I take my sword out, I'm not going to stop till I'm done. Well, you know, Deuteronomy 32, he said, don't let me have to take out my sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the Lord, like, don't let me have to take out my sword. Like, you might, don't let me have to pull my, my belt out. <laughs> okay, because I don't want to have to get the belt out. And so he said, when, when I said, but God, are you really telling me that they rewrote it? And then he took me back to when uh, Jeroboam hijacked the priest. And when Jesus came, they talked about high priests, but they had this whole back order, this whole pseudo order behind them called the Hasmonean. And they had taken over the priesthood. So when Jesus came, he knew. He said, oh, no, this is not the order we set up. Every time God steps up, he is always working to restore the order that he set up. And his order always falls under men because you know how they say secularly, you know, you know, power corrupts mm-hmm. and absolute power corrupts mm-hmm. absolutely. And so people show their inability to handle the power that God delegates them because the first thing they want to do is cut ties with Jesus Christ and cut ties with the Bible and cut ties with the order. So you now this is an important conversation because that's the first thing you want to do. Everybody defects by cutting ties with God. The first thing they do is cut ties with the Bible. Now, it's not, it really, it's not the first thing. The first thing they do is cut ties with prophecy. Then they cut ties with prayer. And then they cut ties with the Bible. So you want to know how, where your church is? Just listen to what, look at what they've done with prophecy, prayer, and scripture. That's going to tell you where your church is. <laughs> she said, where's my head, baby? I, you got it. I can do that. Oh, I even have a pen for you. <laughs> and, you go. and so, you can uh-huh. So I want you to hear this. Are, are you all listening to me? Because I've been saying for the last several months that um, the whole pastor rule guaranteed church schism. When you look and you read what, what uh, the Apostle John says when he talked about, you know, the author say in day if he sent a, a messenger there and the messenger was not let in, and ain't that what the pastors are saying today? Yeah, I know that's the Bible, but we're not preaching it. I know that's scripture, but I'm not letting anybody in it. You won't preach it in my pulpit, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how is that not schism? And how is that not hijacking the man's church? How is that not an insurrection? It is a divine and an eternal ecclesial insurrection. And so we, you all are chasing these pastors because they're big, because they're this, and because they're that. And you don't understand that they are fighting with your God. They have literally tried to decapitate Jesus Christ, and it's not the first time. Okay, but God wants to do something about it. So we were, we've been sitting and listening over the last several months, all of these meetings, and all of these pastors, and the pastors act like they own the church. And I said, how do you all own the church? You weren't around when the church was born. There was not one pastor in Jesus' class, not one in his Mosaic class at all. Because, you know, the first apostles were under Moses' law. Mm-hmm. There was not one pastor there. 
I'm telling you, it, it, it boggles the mind, doesn't it? It boggles the mind to think of the arrogance and the nerve. Not one pastor was in Jesus' most great prayer, and not one pastor was in his resurrection class. Not one pastor was in that upper room. And I'm a pastor, so I'll be honest with you. I started out as a pastor, so you were just saying that I believed all of this. And when I started moving from the pastor to the prophetic and from the prophetic to apostleship, I realized, oh, my God, no wonder we're in trouble. Oh, my God. And so, of course, naive me, pray for naive me, so I go and I tell all my wonderful little apostle friends and prophet friends and peers and colleagues, I'm thinking, wow, they're going to be great. This is a great discovery, and their eyes cross over dead. And needless to say, it wasn't the most exciting news they heard. Hallelujah. And so when we look at it, there was not one. You asked, I want you to do your own test. Want to do your own test? I'll do my own test. Okay. I want you to go, and I want you to ask 10 Christians, including your pastor, if you have that access, or your church leader. I want you to ask them this one question. How many times is the word pastor used in the New Testament? Do your own test. You don't have to. I mean, I remember uh, there are articles, literal articles that rewrite Ephesians 4.11. Some write it to the point that they put the pastor first, period. Others write it apostles, some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, evangelists, and teachers. This is, but then why am I surprised? I mean, I, you just, the constitution of the Christian church, you just threw it in the garbage. I sat in a meeting once, and, and someone said, well, I teach that the bishop is first. I said, well, it's not. I teach that the, the apostle answers to the bishop. I said, no, they don't. No, they don't. And I, and I told them, we can have a discussion, because there wasn't a bishop around. The only bishop that existed in Pentecost was the Holy Ghost with Jesus as the bishop of our souls. Not one. Now, I like pastors, so don't y'all get all upset and start writing me all your little nasty mail and carrying on. Um, <laughs> but truth is truth. And we all say we're in this for the truth. Yeah. And the truth is the church has been hijacked from Jesus Christ and for, for literally centuries has not been subject to him. That is why the laws keep changing. That is why the moral code and compass changes. That is why the approvals change, the commands change, and then right on down to we get to where we are today. Every man doing what's right in their own eyes. This is a judge's church where people have literally assimilated with the world and set up institutions according to the prevailing power. So here we are, and I'm sitting here, I'm listening to these, these people talk about, yeah, because it's us. I'm like, how can it be you all? We are a mess. Nobody's ever going to convince me that this, this, this is God's divine order because there's nothing that could have ever come out of this congregational rule but schism. Well, and I, I, you're hitting on something that's key because one of the other pieces I found in the, in the research and justifying why there's not a need for divine order. Of course, you, you know, the old days, uh, the, the, the age old rather, um, once the church was born, we no longer needed the apostles and prophets thing. But what happened as a result of that theology is they began to increase the responsibilities, roles, and duties of the pastor. And, I, and, right, and I, be, I watched a presentation about 
the many titles and, of the pastor, mm-hmm. the many titles and uh, anointings of the pastor, which began to absorb the roles and the duties of the teacher. It, it absorbed the roles and duty of the prophet and the apostle. And I think and that, the evangelist. Yes, them too. And so they, they, they talked about just the many facets of a pastor's role and position and responsibility, which has, uh, you know, created, or I should say enforced, reinforced that stronghold of keeping them in that top place of leadership. But here's the, the problem with the fallout is that they are, uh, they don't have the capacity for it mm-hmm. by virtue of their job description. That's like, you know, trying to, you know, turn your uh, your local position into a general practitioner of everything. So he has to be now the lawyer. He has to turn around and be the police board. He has to turn around. And, and uh, that's not what by DNA mm-hmm. nature and then, of course, by scope of the profession he chose, what he has the capacity for. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, we've seen more and more pastoral scandal and unfortunate, uh, unfortunately a pastor suicide and more and more encroaching persecution under this leadership with no proper response from the prevailing whole. Mm-hmm. In fact, the, the, the venue that you were talking about earlier, what are they trying to do? Well, come on, pastors, let's galvanize and, and fight. How come we're not speaking about these issues? How come we're not addressing this? And most of them saying, I don't want world issues. I don't want politics. I, I don't want any of we're that in our church, which to me is an indication that no matter how many titles we put on you, you cannot fulfill the job of what these other officers do because they do care and they have responded every time Jesus has needed their help. Mm-hmm. I love that. I, I absolutely love that. And, and you know, you talk about pastor burnout. First of all, they, they, literally they instituted themselves into the seat of apostles without being genetically modified for it. I love it. I you know, I, I, I slapped myself. Go ahead. Did you, did you, I got a little for you. Yes, I did. I share I my clap. I share my clap. It just happened. That's it. <laughs> See, because in God's realm, first the genetics, then the dispensation, then the occupation, and then the discharge of the office. And so we have, so these people have decided now, you're talking about Paul and the 12 apostles literally being able to be beaten and beaten and bloody and whatnot, but also doing it because they had a face-to-face training with Jesus Christ that converted them, not just mentally, not just spiritually, but converted them even genetically. They were empowered. They were strengthened. They got a beating and went back to the the (laughs) conference room and said, hey, God, they beat us. Just like you said, it was wonderful. We loved it. Listen, we need you to give us some more power in, in Acts chapter 4. And let, every time we talk about your holy child, Jesus, Father, Yahweh, we want you to, make, come on, let's make them matter. We want them to be matter. Pastors are peacekeepers. They're pacifiers. They're conciliators. They are literal pacifiers. That's their job. Well, that's key to say, if I can say that one mm-hmm. time, that you're pointing out something powerful, because we don't accept that in the church because we don't recognize that the same is true in the world. You recognize that a person who is called to law, they are genetically outfitted for it. You said something powerful. They're going to look for the argument. They're going to debate the issue. You can't ever keep them quiet. They can't, they can't you know, oh, just God. sit down. Okay, you think, about, you think about your lobbyists. No, we got to fight for justice. No, this can't be right. I mean, they, can't, they don't have peace. They can't sleep. They can't roll over and play dead because something in Inside. that makeup, okay, is, is literally spurring mm-hmm. on that desire and their response to it. Exactly. So all the grief we put on you in the world is not going to genetically modify you to do 
do what you need to do. That's a powerful thing because God begins with genetics. I don't care what anybody say. I thank God for the DNA thing. I've, I've been studying it for a long time because God begins with genetics. He begins with the word. In the beginning was the word. The word is a coder. And he begins by what you're encoded in. You can sit there and tell a kid not to sing all day long, beat that child all day long. When they get it, they're going to sing because that's their code. And that code becomes their calling. Oh, help me, Jesus. So so they're codified for this. That code becomes their literal calling. It becomes because in that code is every talent, every instinct, every impression, every reaction, every sensitivity, every sensibility, all logic, all intelligence, and they all are feeding into that code that must empower and enable that calling. And because we've over-spiritualized this thing, we do not think of any kind of pathway or any kind of, of, of journey or any kind of sequence that will allow it. That whole DNA sequencing, you know, even now, it cracks me up. They said, we're going to do all these wonderful things with DNA. This is my sidebar. We're going to do all of these wonderful things. I, I, I watched the whole article on the CRISPRs and how we're going to just go in that DNA, that DNA code and then we're just going to change it to what we want. But you realize that the code comes from the soul. And you can mess with the body, but you have no idea what you're going to do with the psyche. That's how, I mean, 100%. In, in doing my course, Biblical uh, Psychology, when I'm studying it, I'm studying the Old Testament, so I key up all of the words for soul in the Old Testament, 498 of them, I think, or somewhere between then and 500. So I key them up. And do you know what I realized? They only talk about the body when it's talking about reproduction or death. Everything else is the soul because the soul and the body are one. Because who can separate them? Right now, soul is still. I should do this next week. We yeah. have to come back next week. Have a whole show. Have a whole For show like next week. Exactly. So I want you to understand that the church schism and the spirit of schism and the spirit of division in the church, that divisiveness is innate to its constitution. It's innate to its structure, but it's also innate to its leadership, church government. So I'm going to go back to this, this man. He said, well, you know, um, you know, I teach the bishops are over the apostles. I know. Hmm. No. And you know why? Because there wasn't a bishop around when he called him. Jesus didn't call a bishop. He called apostles. He didn't even call prophets. The only office that Jesus Christ himself called until he got to the 70 elders or the 70 people that he just you sent out, right. which probably were more like evangelists or missionaries. Until he got to the 70, he only used apostles. In the beginning, the church, when they're talking about the church is born, so they don't need apostles, that's a lie from the pit of hell. The first pastors were apostles. And when, when 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says first apostle, that's what it's talking about. You can try to fix this church issue all day long. The first thing you need to do is write its leadership. And we need to stop being on human divine order, and we need to be on God's eternal divine order. Because Jesus Christ set up his own order, just like he canonized his own Bible. And he mm-hmm. said, God has, see, what I like, you know, I'm, say that, You're on fire. I'm on fire. What I like is that 1 Corinthians starts with, it doesn't start with first apostles, it starts with, and God has set these in the church. Mm. Is that not what it says? I, I read it in my book. And you researched the term set. I, I researched it and it meant instituted. 
instituted. And we're going to shift when we start shifting back to how we're going to get this thing back to where it belongs if we intend to serve the Lord. Because if not, God's going to bust it up. That's why these churches are breaking down. That's why y'all need smoke machines and mirror machines. And that's why y'all need all of the black, black boxes and black this and the black that. Because the Holy Ghost is no longer attesting to that. And I asked God, I said, well, why do you do that? Why do you let it go on so long? He said, until I have keepers. I don't, he said, I don't engage because what my effort will get it done. He has no problem. I promise you, Jesus Christ told me, he said, I don't have a problem putting my church back the way I want it. But when I get people, I don't have a team of apostles who are not going to follow this ecclesiology because they want to they wanna get along. But at least I get in the churches, but at least I get a chance to preach. Not in a minute. I told you, Jesus is stepping up as King David. He's also stepping up for his inheritance. Because something about this generation, this 21st century generation, is something about this generation that has God's promises all over it. God wants something out of this generation. He said, because there's a generation that's going to be born that will praise the Lord. So this is a praising generation. He, want, he said there's a generation to be born who will allow him to cleanse them of their sin. See, Isaiah said there is a generation that's not cleansed from their sin. And so this generation is what God wants to cleanse because he wants to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with the saints of this generation, of this era. But they are not coming in the line. The Bible says very clearly in the book of Revelations, I want to say Revelations 21, 8, but it says um, that in the end, it lists all of these things that are gone in the lake of fire. But it says something that we never pay attention to. And it says, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Love and make the lie. Naivety, you know, gullibility, you know, unintention, that's fine. But that's not what God is talking about. But there are those who wrote this entire constitution of this council church. They wrote it, they, they ignored the scriptures, went all the way over there to Timothy, who was so scared, Paul had to keep telling him, don't be afraid, who was so afraid, Paul had to lay hands on him, who was so afraid, he possibly had to remind him to go back to his... More interesting about that is that Timothy was succeeding him in apostleship. In apostleship. Not as a pastor. Or bishop. And so I think it's interesting that we are saying that that's the order of the church and that apostles and prophets have no place in it, but it was a, he was talking to an apostle about running the churches that he was leaving behind. Yeah, yeah. and leaving in, Paul, in Timothy's camp. And so we As called, an apostle. Yeah, we call, exactly. We call Timothy, they call Timothy and uh, Titus the pastoral books, which is how they built this institution, what they call the pastoral epistles. Altogether, I don't even think we got as much as three chapters of uh, Daniel in terms of content and information. But <laughs> but they don't. No, it's true. You know, you're talking about Titus is what, one, two, three page, three chapters, all short? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... Let's get real. We can put them in like that, but they changed it. But to think that humans, men, mm-hmm. rose up against the righteousness of God, the will of God, the purposes of God, the archetypes of God, the prototypes of God, the, the constitution of God to create a culture, this errand, it boggles the mind. Doesn't it boggle your mind? Do you not find it baffling? 
that you are serving God, loving him with all your heart, giving God everything you've got, and you're in an institution that has risen up in an insurrection and snatched itself from under the head, which is Christ? We're going to take his doctrine. We're going to take his, his, uh, his uh, uh, name. We're going to take his spirit, his dispensation. We're going to do a little bit of a theology with it. I did not know when I, I'm telling you. And see, I was young when I found this out. And so these people were like, you know, because, you know, stubborn people and, and people who are wrong, they are wrong, but they're, they're like ramrod wrong. So they get real stubborn. And so I was like, all right, not today. I'm, I'm mm-mm, not today. The lie is the lie, and let the lie be exposed, and let God expose, which is what he's doing. That's why these poor pastors, you're all burnt out. You talk about, you know, I, I got to go take care of my family and whatnot. Apostles did not do that. Apostles did not put their family first. Prophets did not put their family first. They put God's will first. Pastors put their family first. It's pastors that told you that your that your ministry should not affect your children. Are you kidding me? That's a pastor's doctrine. That is not an apostle's doctrine. I'm going to make a differentiation between the apostle's doctrine and a pastor's doctrine. A pastor said it's okay for you to fornicate. A pastor said it's okay for you to get online to date and service. Those are pastors, and those are pastors who okayed it in their churches, and they okayed it in their own collaboratives, their own peerage, but that's a pastoral doctrine, and we need to start extracting pastoral doctrine from the apostles' doctrine, because the Bible says to me, according to the book of Acts, that it's the apostles' doctrine that saves you, and it's the pastors' doctrine that settles you. It's the apostles' doctrine that releases the miracle. It's the, see, because you think that because somebody gets healed, that that's the best miracle that God could do. God has custodial miracles, but he also has interventional miracles, miracles that change time and change space. We are going to know the difference between that. I thank God all of the battles I've taken, all of the wars I've taken, all of the beatdowns I've taken, all of the rejection. And you know what? It made me a real apostle. And I'm not backing down from this. That is a lie. This church is out of order. It is not in God's divine order. It's not in biblical divine order, which is why they took you out of the Bible. Half of y'all went home and read your Bible after you went through all of that. You saw that. And this is what you said. My pastor can't be wrong. My pastor certainly wouldn't rise up against my God, my pastor definitely wouldn't be that error. It certainly can't be. So the Bible must, well, this must be the Bible translations. Are you kidding? It's too many passages. We got more, listen, apostles in scripture in the New Testament. You know, we only got 27 books and we call them books, but they really come on my pages. And so in the New Testament, just proper name, apostles are named over 200 times. Pastors, by now you all have asked, once. Over 200 times, that doesn't include all of the times we say Paul. That doesn't include all the times we say Peter. That doesn't include all the times we say the apostles. That doesn't include that. As a matter of fact, this move was so so snide that it literally downgraded apostles to disciples. I'm reading commentaries where scripture flat out says apostles and the commentator downgrades them. Humanity downgrading this man's divine office? Oh, the arrogance. The arrogance. We sat there and watched all of these, um, you know, founding America things, and it was founded by pastors. And I said, well, you know, it was pastors that founded America. That's because the monarchy didn't want apostles and prophets. The monarchy that sent over the Mayflower, the pilgrims, did not. They sent bishops because they had already banned prophets, and every monarch was considered an apostle. 
do your homework. And so when they start talking to me about, well, you know, the, 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 we don't need apostles because the church is already born. We don't need a bishop because the apostles birthed the church. We don't need a pastor because the apostle birthed the church. But God says we need them. Well, I think you hit on, uh, I, I was trying to figure out the order, but they, they, uh, they pair the, the structure of church government with that whole um, philosophy that, you know, God gave these three, you know, uh, uh, tenets, if you will, of pillars to creation, worship, community, uh, and, and uh, family, that those are the three main, you know, uh, pillars and the three main uh, cultures, if you will. Um, we would, they, they call them mountains, a thousand things that have been named over the years, but they pair that with how we structure church government and what the purpose of the local church is, because God gave us worship, community, and family, or some people will say worship, government, and family, um, and that those are the three main things that he released and, and institutions, thank you, Holy Spirit, the three institutions we got from God. So they only mm -hmm. see those three institutions as a divine institution and literally structured the church government to accommodate that. And that's fine. Local church. They said local church. Congregation. They didn't say kingdom. Because mm -hmm. what God gave the church was the kingdom. And he gave the kingdom, he gave the church the kingdom and the kingdom to the ecclesia. Now listen to me. Community-wide, we got families, we got communities, whatever. Kingdom-wide, which is what we're fighting and scrapping for now, that which Jesus Christ had before there was a church and before he incarnated, kingdoms older than church. Kingdom's eternal. Ecclesia is eternal. But kingdom is the oldest child. Because you, if you tear down the kingdom, the church doesn't have a hope. And you know what? The kingdom agents, and, and you can look it up yourself, I've got dozens and hundreds and hundreds of people, kingdom agents are apostles and prophets. That's why God started with apostles, because they are the first officers of the throne of Christ. We don't like that, because my goodness, that means that each one of us locally has to uh, adhere to what some, some uh, uh, um, what do you call it, some capital figure or some, some soul finger figure has to do, some leader. But I'm telling you, you what, the church is dying because it's wrong. This church is dying because it's not the church of Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why are the gates of hell prevailing? Because the people, the officers that founded the church are not in seats of, of authority, or those in seat are still working with the counterculture. If this was a, a, a secular government, they would know all day long what happened and what, what, why this is wrong. If you are a secular thinker, you would know all day long. We've got this, this front government, this frontage that's operating as real and the truth. And that is, that is treachery and treason. So the, the reason that God's not fighting like you all want him to fight is because this is man-made. God said, well, y'all make it work. He said that to Israel, then go to the God you chose. Leave me alone. He <laughs> was like, mm. but see, you don't read your Bible, so you don't know God thinks like that. So he's been silent. And you've been, well, when are we going to get another move of God? With a pastor? We don't know that we even had all of those moves. And if they were, they were grace moves. Well, With the past, he's not going to do this. With this order, he's because he has apostles now. He has prophets now to step up to the plate where it all began. And I think that, you know, two things that I think you know are very strong, and that is, A, even when they talk about the pastors who supposedly founded America, one thing that you've always taught, and you say this in the book, Divine Order for Spiritual Dominance, is that 
God never ignores his order, even if we do. Exactly. So whether we wanted to call them apostles or not, they if they had the genetic modification mm-hmm. and DNA and the, the mantle and makeup for it, he used those particular individuals because we couldn't understand why certain pastors were more heavily endowed mm-hmm. than others because we weren't making a distinction among the offices as we are today. And I think that that distinct, distinction is obviously allowing God to pull that out and reset his order in the flesh. And I think that's very key. I also think that you, when you made the statement, upon this rock, I will build my church, the word there is ecclesia. So can you make it help people understand who are unfamiliar with that, that whole um, subject matter, the difference between when we use the term local church and ecclesia? Well, ecclesia is the, 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 an all-encompassing name for the body of Christ, that which comes from Jesus Christ. In other words, and the institutions that, that have born from it. And the institutions of the ecclesia belong to apostles. They came out of apostles. They didn't come out of pastors. Congregations come out of pastors. Local churches come out of pastors. Congregations. But, uh, but the ecclesia, that which is part of the kingdom of God, irrespective of a con- local congregation, that comes from apostles. Paul said, if they don't preach my word, let them be a curse. What are we seeing today? We've seen a cursed church. Mm-hmm. He said, they come preaching another gospel. Don't receive them. Why? Because apostles are very territorial because we're protective. We want to protect this, not just because we want to protect you and keep you from getting hurt, but because we want to protect the, our senders, inheritance, property, and possessions. And it's unfortunate that all those apostles, that how, we, how they started that, they started it on not where the apostles started. The apostles didn't start. Paul, Paul was not hot on, I know we say he was, he was not hot on starting churches. He really wasn't hot on planting churches. Churches just became an outgrowth. That he, that he governed. Paul was hot on changing government. He said, I've got to get to Caesar. I've got to get to Rome. I've got to talk to the leaders. I've got to talk to the, the world powers. Why? Because Paul was taking seriously uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where it says disciple nations. Paul, apostles are nationalists. That is who they are because they know we can start a million congregations, which is what we've done. We can start a billion congregations, which is what we've done. But until we can take government, we are just creating pods in a hothouse. That's it. So we keep saying that. The ecclesia that Jesus, if he said gate, the ecclesia and gate obviously are synonymous, which means the ecclesia is at the gate of the land. They, they, it literally is part of the gate authority, and we are to establish a, a, a gate of righteousness that the gates of hell or the gate of heaven, heaven, kingdom of heaven, we need to establish it. And that's what God tried to get us to do all of those years back before the church started failing and becoming selfish and self-serving and all that stuff, and this counterculture grew up. He was literally establishing the gate of heaven. And in all things, I studied gates. And do you know? Do you know what's at the gate? She said, what's at the gate? You want to know? Yeah, I'm sure they do. You want to know, Normie? Okay. You want to know? They want to know. They want to know. You sure? I'm sure. Okay. You're speaking for them. You're the prophet. (laughs) (laughs) The gates of hell. What's at the gate? Governments. What's at the gate? 
senators? What's at the gate? Royalty. What's at the gate? Prophets. What's at the gate? Ambassadors. What's at the gate? Diplomacy. What's at the gate? Merchants. What's at? Come on, you have to study this. There, I mean, the list of what's at the gate that we have advocated. We came up with seven spheres, but the list is huge. Soldiers are at the gate. Yeah, they have guardians at the gate. Yeah, they have governors at the gate. They have education. Teachers are at the gate. All of those things are at the gate. It's not just a a handful of five high gates for us, but at the gate. So he's saying that when Satan comes after you, he's going to bombard you from all of those things. And if there is no heavenly counterbalance or heavenly counterpart or defense, then guess what? He's going to step up himself and take care of it, bringing his own team in from his own realm because he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, against the ecclesia. I'm not confused about that. Oh, I know. You ready? Come on over. Come on over, girl. You've been so good. I'm, I'm burning up. I'm just, I'm, because when you think about it, and you have, so you have all of these people having all of these little strategy sessions and, uh, with the pastors, and oh, yeah, we have the pastors this and the pastors that, and you're operating on a culture that God is now judging because it's not divine order. And so he's judging it, and God said, I'm in abstention from now on. I'm not showing up. Because I want my order established for my son because it's his inheritance that is being uh, snatched away and hijacked, and it's my promise to him that is being voided. They are voiding my promise by their disorder. Disorder. Pastors told you it was okay for you to tie and carry on. A real apostle wouldn't tell you that. You want to know what a real apostle is? They're going to talk to you about holiness. They're going to talk to you about purity. And, and the Bible said purity and body. It didn't just say in spirit. It didn't just say in heart. It said purity and body. Holy and body, soul, and spirit. He did not just say your heart. So you can't just do what you want to your body and tell everybody, but really your heart is not echoing what you've done to your body because that's, that's so not a lot. I mean, so a lot. God's telling you that cannot be. If whatever you do to your body is what your heart told your soul or to commit or to translate to your brain. What you do to your body is what your heart wants the world to see. Be your mouth speaks. What, so your body looks like what you want to model in the world. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying this. He never gave this to pastors. Pastor, and he's not going to recover this thing with pastors. I know you think so, but pastors have already told God, we're not doing it. We're not letting you in our church. We're not letting the Bible back in our house. We're not Ooh. letting the true prophets in. We don't want to. They have told God that is an insurrectionist statement. That is a declaration of war. I don't care what you say. That is a declaration of war. And you have just engaged the almighty in war on you and your church. Oh, I got to hit something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, hold oh, yeah, on. I'm about to say that's a She's right. That's a Sorry, block top people. Ah, yeah. You, you don't, when you have when you have an uprising, this is an uprising against the Almighty. And see, God's been waiting for somebody to say it because He's acting on it. But people don't know. But why is God acting like this? I mean, I don't get it. I mean, why won't He help my kids? Your little tatted kids, kid, who is out sleeping with everything. You want God to step up in that? That's what I'm telling you. That's an insurrection. And God told me, he said, this, you all have revolted against me. I owe you nothing. So everything you get from me now on is grace, mercy, and peace, and they're all at my discretion. 
if you took this man's church from him and you cast out and bound up every way for him to keep it, you prevented him from rescuing his church by your orders. You prevented him from protecting his people by your order. You prevented him from intervening in the light and shedding his light on his people by your order. You have done this to the Almighty. And I'm telling you that today it stops. Whether you continue or not, God is taking a different posture. He is going to fight for the ecclesia. Now, you may keep your little congregation, but trust me, those who are members of the ecclesia of Christ will leave your church, and they're going to leave it by droves. Because no matter what they say, when they come to church and you sing all those beautiful songs, you got those wonderful singers and wonderful whatever, they go home and they face a life where God won't hear where God won't answer, because he, not because he doesn't care, but because he knows it's useless to talk to them until they're done with you. When they're done with the lie, then God comes in with truth. Well, praise the Lord. He didn't give this to pastors. I don't care how many you take them to, wherever you take them. I don't care what mount you put them on. I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost that the problem that God had to deal with now happened on their watch. And who in the world is going to keep the security guard around who would let the bank get robbed? Nobody is going to do that. Nobody is going to continue to work with the security force. You, do, you, you turn around, come on, somebody. Is that true? Mm-hmm. You know, you turn around, there's the watchdog that don't watch, won't watch, or either watching and won't bark. Mm-hmm. The, the watchdog that goes to get the key for the, for the crook. He's Okay. okay. The difference between a pet uh-huh. and a watchdog. Oh, yeah. That's right. And, a lot, and right now, God got pets, but he has no watchdog. And, you know, so they, they, this is entertainment. I realize that now not every, this is not everybody in the seat of the pastor, because like she just pointed out, some of you all are really apostles. And, you know, it's just not becoming in your circle, in your sect. So you're not doing it. Some of you all are really prophets, which is why you can't shut up and your church is mad because you keep preaching a hard word. They wish you soften it up and whatever. But this, you need to understand that God is a person. And this particular side of God and Christ is not going to be what the pastor's presented. He's coming for his church. He's going to do it. But I'm telling you, divine order is first apostles, secondarily prophets, and thirdly teachers. That's divine order. Now, you can call it man order because what did you say? You teach his doctrines, the commandments of men. But nobody made that make sense to you everyday people. Right. So we go in the back room and everybody agree. Listen, you don't say mine, I'm going to say yours. You don't do mine, you don't do mine. We all, we all, this is what we're going to say. We're going to say we're all, all the same. And they all go in the back room. But we got, but I'm going to tell you something. Y'all were in the back room while Absalom and Adonijah was gathering a following because they also did the same thing. They usurped David. And they fought to put him out of his seat and to gather the people behind him. That's an Absalom, Adonijah move. That's the Bible. And so when they were in the back room, but Solomon was in the back room also. And he was in the back room getting trained by the king. And he was in the back room being told by his father who to trust and who not to trust, who to use and who not to use. And so one day while they out there having Absalom loses his head, whether he all swinging his curls and trying on, got caught in the tree branch. See, that's why he should have prayed that thing down. And then he talked about Adonijah over there having a whole coronation where he is literally inserting himself in his father's seat with his following, and the followers are following him. The people are doing it. They're in his – he's got the whole thing rented out the city. He's going to be – I'm going to be king. And all of a sudden, but honey, thank God for a prophet. David's prophet. They just say, hold on. What? Nobody.
somebody told me about a coronation. Wait a minute, because I'm the prophet. I'm the king's prophet. I ought to know. He goes and he goes to fight for David. See, the prophet will fight for that leader's righteousness and rightful place. He goes to David and he said, he goes to Delilah and he said, didn't you say that David told you Solomon was going to be king? I thought, well, why is Adonijah over there having a coronation? What is that all about? So, Delilah, like any good mom, you know, this happened twice. You know, we had, you know, um, what is it, Rebecca, protect Jacob's calling. Okay. And now we got Delilah protecting Solomon. And so she goes to the king, huh? I'm not Delilah, Bathsheba. Bathsheba. You know, the two girls, all yes. the, you know, they both acted, they both started out the same way. One ended up married. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so Bathsheba goes into David, who was old and sick and can't do much of anything, trying to breathe his last breath. God won't let him go till he set the kingdom in his order, in divine order. The Yahweh's order. And so she said, Well, didn't you tell me my son's going to be king? And she said, He said, Well, yeah. Yeah, maybe like, Why are we going this way? Well, your other son, Adonijah, is over there coronating himself as king. And they're there celebrating, etc. David said, Oh, well, I hold back because where the word of a king is a sick king, an old king, a, a last breath king, where the word of a king is, there is power. He said, I tell you what. <laughs> So while she's talking, so Nathan had already said that I'm going to come in right after you, and I'm going to back your play, and we're going to, we're going to end this. So Nathan comes in and tells David all of this. So David said, go get my horse and go get my royal robes. Go get my scepter. Put Solomon on that horse in Jerusalem. Oh, come on, somebody. He said, put him on that horse in Jerusalem. Put my robe on him. Go get my trumpet, blow my trumpet so that everybody knows a new king has just been set up and he came up the right way. He did not steal the people. He did not run around with some underground political things. He did not run around misleading the people, telling the people that, you, that I gave it to him. And I want you to understand, they said a roar went out to the city. They said, because see, those, are those, those that didn't go to Adonijah coronation, See, now everybody wasn't that Solomon. Because you know the, the, all of the populace, because Van Nyden was a popular man. He was the populist choice, the people's choice. So those are the people's choice were over there with Adonijah. But the kings, faithful, were there celebrating Solomon's coronation. Solomon says, hey, I'm king now. Now, and then the story takes us back to the coronation. Where Adonijah, he's having fun. He's got his own king. He's got his own. You see, he even had a royal emblem, had his own crown made, had his own scepter made, had his own robe made. He had all of the accoutrements made for his day because he did not have access to his fathers. Oh, y'all didn't hear that. Let me just go. He had the makeshift, a makeshift coronation with makeshift ritual, ceremonial robes and makeshift emblems and crowns. Makeshift, hear me. And this makeshift church is what God is getting ready to do away with. The makeshift church. So then, all of a sudden, in the middle of their revelry, they're having fun. Everybody's just celebrating, you know, booze flowing, food all over the place, people dancing, celebrating. But somehow or another, the roar from Jerusalem traveled that far on the wind. And he said, well, what is it? And you know God always has a messenger. 
So he's trying to figure out what it is. And the messenger comes in and the messenger says, the king has just made Solomon king. Let me tell you about the coronation. People started backing out the window, backing out the door, slithering out of here, climbing through the wall. They're like, oh, we don't want to be caught. Uh, we don't want to be caught seen with you. Because it will cost us our lives. Because in effect, they all knew. They all knew what Adonijah was doing was treason. But they figured David was so old, he couldn't do anything about it. They counted David out of circulation. Honey, so they all started leaving. The next thing he know, he's standing in his little coronation hall alone. Maybe with a couple of faithful, we with you, man. We got you, no matter what. You know, a lot of times we do that, especially African-Americans. We're going to be with the wrong until the wrong dies. So we don't understand righteousness because we're always on the underdog. And we're always on the, the, the uh, insurrection, the one who's going to fix the system so that we get a plus. And so he's standing there. Yes, he is. He's standing there with his little loyalists. And then he has to meet the king. Now, the guy so believes, because, you know, the Bible says that when you don't receive the love of the truth, God will send you strong delusion that you will believe the lie. And he believes his, he, I mean, Adonijah believes his lie. So much so, he went to Solomon, who is now on detroit, wearing the original garments of royalty the, uh, that come down from Saul to David and David to Solomon, the original wear, the authentic wear of the throne. And he goes to him and says, can I have my father's, my dead father's girlfriend, concubine? I want, I want her. Now, he believes that he should have been king, but things didn't turn out in his favor, so he goes to ask for a consolation prize. Solomon is like, what? Because, uh-huh. see, see, everything that was his father's became his because he's now the king on the throne. Yeah. So, really, it's no longer, again, Abishag is no longer my dad's concubine. She's now mine. She's in my harem. And you want to ask me for one of my women? You are crazy. <laughs> oh, somebody. See, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on now. God was like, are you kidding? I said Solomon is going to sit on this throne, and I want to enrich my land. I want them to have such fame. He had a deal. He had built Solomon genetically for the deal that God was going to make. He had built Solomon to have the mind of wealth and the mind of making money and ideas and witty inventions and, and, and political covenants and pacts and treaties so that, that Israel would be the wealthiest, so much so that the wealth would be known around the world. And I I'm not going to let some upstart hold up my vision for my nation. I'm not doing that, says the Holy Ghost. Jesus. I'm so gone. <laughs> Come on over, girl. We're sprint profit a deal. We got to get something. Why during the transition, do you, uh, first of all, we ain't going to talk about Adonai, uh, the whole Adonijah Solomon and the, and the parallel to where the fake church is going. Um, she said we're the fake church. I'm going to leave some, some room for that for Prophet Ashley to kind of bring that Oh, in. she got chompers here. Look at her. Yeah, she, she got, got real chompers. But do you think that when we're talking about now having to separate out the ecclesia from the mess that has been today mm-hmm. and all the complications associated with that, uh, was that what the Jerusalem Council was trying to start since there were no 
there was nothing, an ecclesia, a, 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 a federation of something that would um, make it so that they, the local churches or all these things that were popping up and springing up on the various apostles and everything would happen. I mean, Paul went back there to get the credibility to substantiate what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, was that uh, a, a means of starting that? Or what would that look like in the natural when you, we do have so many, what they say, 48,000 or 36,000 denominations and mm-hmm. local churches and et cetera? What would that look like? Hmm. That's a good question. I would think that that something like that is a good, I don't know, 10 years away. Okay. Minimum. That's number one. Because there, God has to put it, put it in the heart of all of those people. Come on in, girl, and grab something to sit on. <laughs> but God has to put it in heart in the heart of the people, first of all, to understand their issue, his issue with them and their issue with him. And then he has to correct that getting them ready, that comes under, it's my people who are called by my name, who would hum, humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. First of all, these people need to understand that this was very peacefully done. This was a peaceful takeover. Yes, It was such a peaceful takeover that nobody knew it was a takeover. Now God's people have to know that this was a takeover, and this takeover has got to be eradicated and there has to be repentance that was a wicked takeover even though it was it it seemed wise it was the wisdom of wickedness it was satan's wisdom and so this takeover has got to be resolved that's number one and when people are genuinely penitent then they want to abandon their wickedness and then they want to become part of his solution and so the process is going to be very involved and the biggest of the process is these pastors are not going to go quietly in the night now, there are going to be a bunch of them that say, wow, I, I didn't know. Well, let's do it right. Because I've met a lot, of, a lot of saints like that. When you point out where God's issues are, they're like, well, I didn't know it. It's just what I learned. It's what I was taught. And so, hey, I repent, and let's get it right. So there are a, a, a significant number of them in the planet. And I believe a lot of these denominations are like that. I do believe God is talking to them and visiting them and letting them know. But now how much are they willing to lay down for God's glory? Because, see, you know, that that information was out there. Now, granted, the Internet makes it easier. But now that they've had the truth, they've got to do something with that truth. What are they willing to do? Because that's going to go right to, that's going to gut the whole institution. And it's gonna, and then there is the whole other side of, of the true versus the false apostles being vetted, being filtered, and then put in place, being trained. This is huge. This is not mighty because this thing has gone for literally centuries. We're talking about. I'm reading information about the prophet, the um, the chief prophet. I want to just share this, um, but the chief prophet that says that this person is a president that gathers people in the community or in their town and gathers them for two things. One, for young prophets to learn and to be used, and then gathers their, them to speak the, God's word to the, uh, to the community and train them in God's ways and truth and righteousness. And like I've always said, you know, the number one thing for a, a prophet to do is not prophesy. They talked about all the time that when you get those prophets that only want these long predictive discourses, those people are um, prophesiers. They, they use another term, prophesiers. But just to let you know, the prophets are organs of the Almighty. And it says here that 
etymologically, it is certain that neither prescience or foreknowledge or prediction is implied by the term prophet used in the Hebrew language. Oh, and I think you have been talking for huh. years. Yeah. And so, I've been, exactly. And so, God. Can you get coffee with me? Yeah. Why do you all want coffee? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is you see, we here? have to, we have to beg asking here. Exactly. And so it said, in the days of the judges, we find Deborah was a prophetess, a prophet, and judges rebuke and exhorted the Israelites. And it talks about all the way up to Samuel, childhood. And it says, Samuel himself, a Levite of the family of Korah, acting as priest, was the instrument used at once for effecting a reform in the sacerdotal order. And for giving to the prophet a position of influence. Wow. And it goes on to talk about the difference between. Now, this is part of the class, so they have to come. I know. But you have to come in June. Exactly. That is exactly it. And then it goes on to talk about Samuel took measures to make his work of restoration permanent as well as effective. And for this purpose, he instituted companies or colleges of prophets, one we find in his lifetime at Ramah, others afterwards at Bethel and Gilgal. Their constitution and object was similar to those of theological colleges. Into them were gathered promising students, and here they were trained for the office, which they were afterwards destined to fulfill. So successful were these institutions that from the time of Samuel to the closing of the canon of the Old Testament, there seems never to have been wanting a due supply of men to keep up the line of official prophets. Hmm. I just got one more thing, and then I'm going to shift. All right. Because it's important, and that all of them had, they all had this president or this senior prophet over them yeah. who taught them the office, taught them songs, poetry, taught them how to teach the law. Hallelujah. I thought this was interesting because it was, it, it was the duty of prophetical students to compose verses to be sung in the temple, having themselves been trained and taught the prophets, whether they stayed in the college or on the land or left, had the task of teaching others. They had weekly and monthly religious meetings. They were held in an ordinary place, or they had what they called a prophetic station. Elisha sat in his house, engaged in his office occupation. And at these meetings, and many of the warnings, exhortations on morality and spiritual religion were addressed by the prophets. The school of the prophets were thus engaged in what we may call pastoral functions. Mm. Mm rather than in the disclosure of discourse of things to come. Their office was to bring home to men's business and bosom, you know, because this is the 18th century, the announcement they had already made. And, and lastly, lastly, this is the part I think was so powerful. From these, we derive our amplest materials for compa comparing the anticipations of prophecy with the subsequent events of history. Thus, the prophets of the Old Covenant form a regular succession. They were members of an unbroken, continuous chain of which one perpetually reaches forth the hand to the other. So continue on! 
church builders, right. essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I understood apostles to be, church builders. That if you, that, and, and honestly, when I first met you, you were really battling with this concept that, if you, that you were not an apostle mm-hmm. unless you had a bajillion churches yeah. in but Africa. That's what I've been told. And the churches had to be remote, too. Yeah. Like, they couldn't be churches down the street. No, they had to oh, be no. churches that were really, really remote that, you know, that nobody turned up. But you know, all these different churches, and, and you were combating that yeah. when I first met you. So I would love for you to speak on that, that aspect of Paul's, Paul's mission. I love it. Um, and the other apostles as well. The, the first thing I would like to say is that the definition of an apostle is having a lot of churches is the exact same measurement and standard that we use for bishops. So which one is it? Mm. See, bishops are known for having a lot of churches and territories, mm-hmm. but that's what makes a bishop. A bishop having a lot of pastors, oh, okay, under that office and under that work. So if that's how we evaluate bishops and that's how we measure and accredit a bishop, well, or certified, because whatever. But then how is it that the apostle has the exact same standard? The fact that that, that dual standard, I want to say the mirror standard, exists is a testimony, an attestation of what I've said, that the church is defining everything by the pastor. The bishop is nothing but a pastor, a senior pastor over pastors. So... Um, so the church is the most well, nothing. Uh, uh, you know, come on, Jesus is a bishop, so that's yeah. not a bad thing. Um, but you have to recognize that, that if we are measuring the two by the same, one is right and one is wrong, or one is is varied from the other. Now, the first apostles did not have churches, nor was church in their their daily duties or their daily experience. There was no church. They were over the nations. They were apostles, the last apostles, if you will, or the last of the institution of Moses, the last of the law. So those apostles were literally apostles of Moses' law. So Christians can't claim that the reason we can't do it because of what the early apostles did, because that's inaccurate. Wow. They were apostles of Moses' law. Y'all better sow me a seed, because I'm breaking captives free. Y'all go right onto your bank account or go right onto your whatever and hit drpaulaaprice.com, because this is powerful, and I'm an apostle, and this is a apostle doctrine, and you all are going to be set free. A lot of you all are going to reset your ministry, reset your consciousness, and reset your collaboration, your behaviors, according to what I say. So the first thing we need to know is the apostles' recognition based on a bunch of churches, or is the bishops? Right. Because the first apostles did not have churches. When Jesus rose from the dead, sent the Holy Ghost, and this is in my book, Eternity's Generals, and it's it's old, been out a long time. It's a hefty book. So if you're an apostle, you're going to love reading it. So when Jesus rose from the dead, well, before he died, it says the, the, the... Law was finished. It says the veil was rent, which means the institution and all of that done. Everything under that economy, as far as God is concerned, was finished. Now, what we concluded is that it was finished and abolished, but it was not. It was completed and embodied. Mm. Embodied in Jesus Christ, because all kings embody their realms. And so Jesus 
becoming the king of kings is taking everything that was earth that was belong to everybody else because he's won the battle he is embodying it all because that's how kings rule they rule from their body which is why the body of christ is so important so now these apostles who were hiding in the upper room hoping jesus was right <laughs> they get a recommission and their new, it's not even re, I use the word re, and Jesus told me that's now, this is new, because he said new covenant, new commission. So they get a new commission, and their commission is to the nation, all the nations of the world, and their commissioner is a dead man, a man who was killed, who rose from the dead, who cannot die again. So any commission he sets in motion is perpetual until the end of time. So now, let's go back to your question, which is, we're trying to figure out how do we accept apostleship today? Is that what we're going after? Well, yeah, yeah, because you talked about how Paul was more concerned with changing government exactly. than starting church. Well, here's why Paul was concerned with that, and Paul's knowledge was brilliant, because he writes, Jesus says before he goes to the grave, now is the prince of this world cast out. Now is the God of this world cast out. And so we've talked about this before, what that means. It wasn't just cast out of the world, because Satan is still around, so it can't be just the world, but cast out of the souls of humanity. Jesus now has access to human souls. He can reconnect them with their eternal spirits. So he says that in 1 Corinthians, he said, um, if the princes of this world had known, the princes mean governors, rulers, principalities. If the princes of this world had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. So what does Paul know? Paul knows that it is his time, that it's time for Jesus Christ to regain the government of the nation. But he's not just going to govern, then personally will govern from the inside of the being, the human being, and hence his station in the planet as the Holy Spirit. But as a body, institutionally, he's going to govern through his ecclesia, which is why Satan worked so hard to raise up this counterculture, talk him out of church, stay in church, talk him out of government, talk him out yeah. of business, and, and, and everybody's all happy to stay in the church and stay out of the devil's way. Uh-huh. So Paul understood that you don't change nations, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, 28, you don't change nations uh-huh, with, as just missionaries taking aid. You change nations by converting the head. So which is why he uses the word ambassador in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, when he talks about we're ambassadors for Christ. Pastors have said, all y'all are ambassadors. That's impossible. See, that's another pastoral doctrine. And I'm going to keep hitting that. Is that, is, that a, is that an apostle's doctrine? Is that a pastor's doctrine? Is that a prophet's doctrine? Because all those doctrines may all deal with the same subject matter, but not the same way, not within the same context, and not addressing the same environment. Pastoral doctrines and, uh, uh, literally address the environment of their church, their congregation. So it's congregational. It is not kingdom. It's not ecclesia, which is why they did not see the devil coming to do this to the body of Christ. They didn't see it because they were watching their homes. They were watching their own pens, their shepherds watching their own sheepfolds. 
So you realize that as a shepherd, those of you, we, we like to, yeah, these shepherds, isn't it wonderful? But you realize that shepherd is only going to watch one fold. Right. And that shepherd is not going to be, the use is going to be at odds with government. Not getting subsidies, not getting aid, you know what I mean? Yeah, not yeah. getting permits, etc. So they're usually going to be at odds with government. So the, 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 these shepherds could not see this game the way an apostle would have seen it. Those true apostles, and there's some good ones out there. I've been meeting them. I've been reading them. I've been seeing them. But there are a bunch of them that just bought into the evangelical doctrine, which is for the, for the shepherd, Jesus Christ, and his sheepfold as it's distributed throughout the world, and not the sovereign Jesus Christ who must keep the kingdom. So Paul is, knows that apostles are called by sovereign. They are spiritual ambassadors. And so ambassadors are called by the head of state. Not every Christian is going to be even known by the head of state. Okay, so how are you going to be an ambassador for Christ? That sounds great. But see, Satan did a lot of those, those diminishment tactics so that we can depower the words that God used that made the difference. But apostles are called by sovereigns. And the purpose is to take care of the business, the duties, and the responsibilities of the sovereign. And Paul knew he could change the Roman Empire if he could change the sovereign. And that's why you did that. Where's the commercial break? I know you right now. I need mean, one. I need mean, one. I need it. We'll be right back. After these messages. Okay. All right. Anything else you want to take on before she goes in? Because you got some good stuff over there, girl. I did. I did. Okay. Um, well, I, I, I think that that's, a whole, that's another Paul Price show. You're talking about the code. I think you need to give us a show about the code because you talked about how God begins with genetics and that everything is in the code. I think that kind and of DNA code comes from the soul. Yes. Yeah, yes. We know we're here right now. So. <laughs> First yeah. of all, you have been my advisor for how many years? This is 10 years this year. 10 years. What do you use as your advisement tool? The assessment. And what do the assessments zero in on? Well, they zero in on the well, the 22 areas or mm-hmm. the categorical, categorical area, areas that that minister has to work on specifically. Okay. What do we what do we bring out the code? The primary. The primary. Yes. The primaries are supporting mm-hmm. uh-huh, the so, environment. Exactly. So when we do our assessment. Mm-hmm. The assessments, whether you, we've had so many people say, well, I'm not in that office. Yeah, but you call to it mm-hmm. because your consciousness, your perception, your, your um, responses indicate that when it's time, you have all of the physiological, anatomical, and psychological equipment to fill this position. I don't understand. Okay. I did that. Did I do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know what you want. Okay, when you were talking about <laughs> manipulating DNA, yeah, and then you said that the DNA code comes from the soul, so really no matter how they try and manipulate DNA, are we still going to end up with the same problem? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, the manipulating of DNA is in the book of Daniel and other books as well, but what, especially Daniel when it says that the, the devils will begin to mingle with the seed of man. Oh, that's in Daniel, and that's what the toes are, the ten toes. 
that they talk about in Daniel's vision, huh. and Nebuchadnezzar's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's vision. That's the first thing. Take that long to get that in. Okay. Go. <laughs> Ooh, do we have? She can. Yeah, she can. Uh, do you really want to say? Oh, okay. But let me finish this. Mm-hmm. So here's why I know the codes come from the soul and not the body. And <clears throat> because <clears throat> we are so engrossed. And um, throwing the Bible away, we're not looking for its wisdom. Now, the world is. Because if you listen to a lot of these shows and movies, they quote scripture. They have enacted scripture. Yeah. We don't know it because we don't know the Bible. Right. You know, like that guy we saw in the movie last night, he said, but I am. Oh, there were several. They did. Oh, I mean, never. Because, they, because mm-hmm. the church has abdicated. But let me say this. Um, when God created... Adam and Eve, he created them on the sixth day. He created them spirits. They were not created on earth. They were created in him. So however God's awesomeness does that generate people or beings, that's what he did. They stayed with him, within him, from the sixth day to the eighth day, because the seventh day they had Sabbath. Now, I've had people write me that I just don't agree with the eighth day, but I don't know where your doctor is coming from, because if you think like a pastor, you probably wouldn't. So let's think like an apostle who, like Moses, got the story of creation. So we went, he goes, on the eighth day, God goes, and he does something. He creates the body because he only declared himself one day of rest. So you can, it's, it's logical to conclude that he went back to work on day eight. And then from day eight on, when it didn't matter, he just kept working, and every seventh day he'd take a rest. All right? That's what he said. So he creates the body, and the body is created from the dust of the earth. It's made by the hand of the Almighty, and it's empty. It's got all of its organs. It's got all of its, um, uh, what do um, you call it, body. It's got its brain. It's got the skeleton. It's got skin. What it doesn't have is life. And the Bible says that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. And when he did, what came out of Adam into the body? The breath of life. Heart starts beating. Blood starts pumping. They had no blood. They had no blood, so the blood had to come with the soul, which is why the blood is given on the altar for the atonement of your souls. Y'all know y'all need to enroll in my school because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make y'all smart Christians. Y'all are ready to sit down and discuss something and make a statement. So what does that tell you? That even though the body had all of its coatings, et cetera, it had all of those codes, they were not enlivened until the blood came, and the blood came with the soul, which came out of the Almighty. And in Adam's soul also came the woman. So God breathes into this man. The breath of life, because, see, we read it and we just go on. But, you know, scientists are smart people. They know what I'm talking about. Yes. See, because scientists are spoken like, but well, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, oh, wait, mm-mm. So they can say one more time. <laughs> see? They're like, yes. Exactly. Because the blood of Adam was in the soul. And the bloodline is in the soul. And it's from the spirit. Now, we teach this in biblical psychology. So when God breathed into Adam, 
the breath of life, he breathed it into a corpse that had no life, had never been alive, had no blood, heart that didn't pump, brain that didn't light up, you know, organ, lungs that didn't breathe, none of that. And it all came in one fell breath because what was in God's breath was man's soul. And in that soul came the blood. That's why blood is required for the soul. And that is why Jesus had to shed his blood. Because what the first thing God put into man after he made him was blood. Your bloodlines are fixed. So they can play with the DNA and they'll have some success. But what they won't know is what their soul has been encoded to do in their life. Because it comes from the soul. But then you need to enroll in the course. Because these lectures are in that course this summer. Are they not? Yes. These lectures are in there for you to get that information. And you need it because, see, they keep saying, well, you know what? This is just the body. In the scientific community, they don't have to care about the soul. Because they care about what they can see, what they can have. They're five senses. So they care about the body. When they think brain, they think the soul is in the brain. Mm -hmm. That's also in the course. Yes, it's in the course. So when when you start thinking about messing with DNA, in the science realm, we're only dealing with the body. We don't care about your soul. We don't care about that. Mm -hmm. But in the realm of God, the body and the soul are inseparable. And the soul predates. The box. Are they enjoying this? <laughs> yes, yeah, stuff is happening over there. What y'all doing over there? Y'all writing stuff? He said, what y'all doing over there? I know y'all writing stuff. Oh, my goodness. Woo, somebody yeah. said, oh, good teaching. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yes. How can I reach you? Somebody say, text me. <laughs> okay. Well, will somebody from the office contact you? All right. So somebody else also asked about connecting with you. Yes. DrPoeAprice.com, 877-419-1299. I'll repeat that. DrPoeAprice.com. Listen, all one word, all lowercase, and the call number is 877-419-1299. I'm here. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Okay, that's good. Wow. Free. What are, let me see here. I know that, uh, oh, okay. Well, anyway, the person who doesn't, thank you, Dr. Paul, for your history of solid teaching to substantiate your words here today. Mm. Someone else said, this is too good. Uh, When you were lighting it up earlier, they were lighting it up back. I think (laughs) Apostle Juan was just going to blow up the internet. (laughs) She was there. Somebody said, flow, flow, strong. Uh, Yeah, the difference between congregational versus kingdom, there is a difference. Let's see, this guy has a All right, let's see, listening and hearing you all. <laughs> oh, now uh, Tony says she never understood why her uh, understanding was so different. Mm-hmm. And now I think today cleared all of that up. 
completed and embodied, not abolished. Wow, there's some throwing a lot of fire on here. I mean, a lot of fire. Yes, yes. Uh, so, I mean, Just somebody said they appreciated your holy boldness mm. earlier when you were teaching earlier. Yeah. Well, you know, we, God can't fix a problem. We keep sleeping under the rug. Yeah. And he cannot, he cannot correct error that is not confessed or admitted. So somebody has to do that. So we can have all of these meetings where we just grab in the pastures. I'm telling you, that's not how God's going to do this. No. And I said that to several people. I'm telling you, see, because God has a move. We're doing, they're doing what they've always done with this counterculture, yes. this insurrection. Pastors, as she said, aren't built for this. That's why they're having all types of breakdowns, except that you realize that for those apostles to break down, they have to keep getting beat. And that is recorded, right? They had to keep getting beaten because it was the beatings that kept breaking them down. That's how powerful God made them. That's how forceful they became because they were beaten. And so, and through the, and it still took years to get them in. God did not let them die until each one of them entered out their dispensation. Mm. You know, so I'm excited. I'm excited at all. So we, what I'd like to do is turn to her and get some announcements. Announcement. Yes, Announcement. but before we do, talk about your class. The your yeah, the classes we're putting up for the summer, et cetera. Oh, Christ University. Yes. Yes, yes. They are up and running. Uh, we have started our summer semester. Uh, let me see, I have prophecy timeline, mm -hmm. which is you. Me. I facilitate. She's already taught it. About where is your prophecy in its manifestation? Where is it in eternity? And to really connect with that is another course um, called Ruling the Supernatural, which deals with finding your prayer portal. Mm. Also a webinar taught by Dr. Price. Where's the point of access? Yeah. How do you get there? How do you utilize it? What are the rules for prophecy, the mm. rules for intercession? We just really tell you, just go in. Mm. Just go in and get everything. And we quote every scripture about our prosperity and say that's how you get it, and that's just not the Bible. And um, so those are the two courses. Then we have Biblical Psychology, mm -hmm. which is running. Uh, Prophetology is doing Divine Order, Christology, Apostolic Prophetic Bible Education. Mm. It's a full load. Prophet Adia is teaching your youth and what is, what is your divine call? Mm -hmm. Divine Communications for the Young Prophet. We are breaking down Dr. Price's book, Prophecy, God's Divine Communications Media. Mm -hmm. In this course, and we're also tackling her short article called called mm -hmm. Prophesy. So it's a discussion-based course where we're able to take material from that Dr. Price has written on divine communications. Um, we're also combining like Saturday Academy. Yeah, yeah, back in the day where we taught prophecy basics. So it's a really cool overview course on just an introduction to the prophetic. So you can, um, you can tune in to, or you can really get in on Divine Com 2, which starts May 28th. No, it starts in the third session. Divine Comp 2. Okay. Divine Comp 2 is a, a four-week course. Divine Comp 1, six-week course. So this course goes into the first couple weeks of um, June, and then it will conclude Divine Comp 1. We'll conclude and we'll jump back into Divine Comp 2 in the third session. So if you missed Divine Comp 1, you could definitely still get in on Divine Comp 2. Get your and then kids come back in there. On. Young people, look. And we I mean, actually have this. young adults in the class right this. now, not teens. If you're just young in the prophetic, just young in the prophetic, I was an adult almost when I met Dr. Price. And even if I was older and had no idea what I was doing, start 
right there. It is meaty. It is juicy. Yeah. Young, young people, young adults, young in the prophetic, no matter how old you are. Because, well, it's just like Yeah. And then we have Dreams and Visions. One, which is happening right now. Yes. Um, and then Dreams and Visions back, 2. Dreams and Visions, well, Dreams and Visions 2 will be back in the second session. That starts on the 28th of May. We may bring back Dreams and Visions 1 in the third session, or we might bring it back in the fall. But it'll, it'll definitely come back. Um, but right now, we're in the middle of Dreams and Visions 1. That class is, is full right now with lots of, you know, people who are really pursuing interpretation, understanding dreams. Um, and then Dreams and Visions 2 starts this next mm-hmm. session. Prophetic Worship 2. I mean, yes. Prophetic Worship 1. Yes. That starts in the second session as well. Um, so we're excited about that. Okay, there. A class called Finding Your Silas. Um, that's definitely a class for apostles. I mean, we should talk about that. Apostles and prophets. And prophets. Episode prophets. Called yeah. to apostles. If you think that you are called to an apostle, you know, you really have to understand the apostle's office and the prophet's office in order to do both. We had to learn the apostle's office to know how to work with an apostle, yeah. especially this one right here, uh, because it's, it's, you, you have to know the field in which you're entering into, even if you have a different position. Yeah. Yeah, and someone mentioned on here, how do I benefit from the courses from outside of the USA, Cleopatra, uh, Jameson, Honestly, you can, if you have online access, yes. you can benefit from any of the self-study courses. Everything for self-study is completely online. So as long as you have access to the World Wide Web, you can benefit from the courses. Just visit us at priceuniversity.org, and, we'll, and you can get all the information on how you can register for session two, guys. So we're right in the middle of session one. Session one starts April 30th. Yes. Um, so it's not too late for session two, which starts on the 28th of May. Visit us at priceuniversity.org. Click the summer tab where you can look at summer courses and click enrollment, and you'll be able to see the courses that begin in the second session of the summer. So let's talk about this Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute one more time. Yes. Okay. Do. You need to make it your business to get here. Don't be that person another year who says, I know I need to get to Tulsa. I know I need to get to Tulsa. Dr. Price is my mentor. I've read all of your books. And then you don't show up in Tulsa. You have to come and seal the deal. The Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, our live conferences are like no other event. Yeah. We have been told. We have gone to other conferences. They are so unique powerful, power-packed, concentrated information, the Spirit of God moves, worship, yeah. led by Prophet Adia Peterson, one of our worship leaders here at the events, our main worship leader, <laughs> he's a to be the main worship leader at the events, leads worship, the band is excellent, the singers are excellent, the teaching is on point, you get one-on-one prophetic ministry at some point in the event, you know, it's typically the last morning, but yeah. on occasion, God shifts, and it happens at a different time. But you still get that training. What I love about June is in the evenings we have workshops. And I want you to take a minute to talk about the youth. Because I'm not sure how many people really know why their young people should come to the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute and what they get just for them. Yeah, absolutely. So for we've realized, you know, over the years of doing the institute that there are a lot of teen prophetic people, teen, you know, youth that are 
hungering to hear or to recognize how to hear God's voice. So at the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, we started opening up a youth session mm-hmm. to really help youth to conquer that, to be able to hear the voice of God, um, to be able to understand prophetic purpose um, and, and what they're called to do. Um, so that's what we've done is really open up a session for teen prophets or, or just teen prophetic people who yes. just know that they are dreamers. Um, who know that God is speaking to them. We do a lot with purpose, being able to understand the call of God on your life, being able to identify that. And this year, really discussing that divine communications thing. So understanding the history of prophecy, we're going to tackle that divine calm uh, for the young prophet in this year's TPPI. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And what's great is the young people during the day, they're with the adults. They get that Dr. Price teaching. And then in the evenings, they break out. Just themselves, Prophet Adia, and any other guest speakers that we may have to really dig in on an academic level. I think it's tragic how our young people go out into the world, they have to deal with high-level issues, deep, complicated, emotional things all the time. And when they come to church, we are almost obsessed with simplifying it, making everything so easy and and, um, just not complicated, and they're bored without it. Because every single day their minds are engaged, they're being challenged with what they're doing. Yeah. And that's also what I love about your programs with for our young people. If you get in there, let me tell you, Papa Dia gets in there. When she talks to those young people, well, like they're about to be adults <laughs> or are, because that's the world in which they live in. We see now the children, well, who used to be children back in the day, yeah. now in college, graduating college, going into business, and they remember Miss Dia. They remember that Sunday school. It has changed their lives. So if you have young people, bring them, send them. If, if they're a certain age, you need to be with them. <laughs> um, to see to it that they don't miss out on their prophetic destiny yeah. as well. We even have a choice but to wait until we were adults. But, ma'am, we, how many times do we walk around saying, oh, I only had Dr. Price in my life when I was 12. Yeah. When I was 14, before I went to college and wasted a year of my life and a whole lot of money on the wrong career. Yeah, <laughs> and I want to do something special uh, for those that are watching uh, today. We're going to do something a little special. So if you, what we want to do is the first 10, and we're going to open this up to the first 10, that would email us. You can email, email admin at ptmglobalresources.com, admin at ptmglobalresources.com, or you can just get online at drpaulaaprice.com and fill out where mm-hmm. it says join, join me or join the mailing list. The first 10 from this point on, um, we want to offer that group rate of 75. So the first 10, we'll, we want to offer that group rate of 75. We keep the cost really, really low overall right. for the, the Tools Prophetic Training Institute. As you guys know, uh, any conference that you go to, there are expenses involved. We, we actually are one of the, the most affordable conferences out there, yes. and we try to keep it really affordable for everybody to build at 10 and still be able to have a place for you to come to. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to have a place for you guys to gather, all right, um, and, and be able to provide resources to you when you get there. Um, but the for the, first, for the first 10 that will um, email us right now or jump online right now, drpaulwayprice.com, Click the join me and you can you can email us, say, I want to be one of that first 10. We want to offer that group rate of 75 to you right now to be able to attend um, TBTI. Now, also, we want to let you know um, 
see, okay, so for like your hotel and things of that nature, if you're looking to maybe share a room with someone or, or link up with someone, we need to know that. So jump online, drpaulaprice.com. Let us know in the comments. You can, do, you can do contact us. You can let us know, hey, I'm coming to TPTI. I'm wondering if someone else is coming and they want to maybe share a room so that we can actually connect you guys and help, help you all be able to come out here for this event. We love you. We want you to be here. <laughs> we want to work hard to get you guys here. Yes. So, again, the first 10 right now, email us admin at ppmglobalresources.com or jump on drpaulaaprice.com and click either to join us, join our email list, or contact us. We'll look at those and we'll try to grab them from online as well. What we'll do is we'll send you a special uh, information on how you can get that group rate. And this is an administrative note, event note. Don't wait until the last minute to do your hotel room. Yeah. Please. When you have events, we have room blocks, the hotel has cutoff dates that are usually not flexible. We're in a new yeah. hotel this year, and so we really need to abide by that. Um, so if you know you're coming, you're like, I'm going to get my ticket on this day or do whatever, call the hotel today to reserve your room. Typically, they don't even put a hold on your card until you check in. Yeah. So, but they need that card number to say, hey, it's a commitment and I'm coming. Do not wait to get your hotel room at the Doubletree. So if we need to enlarge the room block, which I think we already did once, we can do it again while we're still within the window. That yeah. is so, so, so important because we'll get calls the day before, two days before. I can't get a room. You know, this isn't just like driving down the highway and checking in at that rate. We'll probably be able to get a room, but maybe not at that rate. Absolutely. And so as far as the Social Profile Training Institute goes, um, what would you say is the the biggest strong card. Why would they come out? Why why invest all that all the resources, the time to come out and be with us here in Tulsa for Tulsa Perfect Trading Institute? You know, I'm going to refer to a note I took today when Dr. Price talked about the makeshift church. Yeah. And how and earlier she said we have a counter constitution in the church, and it's based on the Bible. If you're a prophet and you're serious about being a prophet, I would say coming to this event is the first way you prove I am ready to come against the counter-constitution that we're running on as a church because I'm going to make it my business to learn the right information to course correct. It's not about prophesying everybody's in trouble and God's going to judge and a new guard is coming and all of the things that are intangible. The highest value of coming and the greatest way to prove to the Lord, I am serious about doing this the right way yeah. for Jesus Christ. Too many times we've made ministry about us, what we want to do for the Lord and how we want to do this and how we want to do that, and it's not about him anymore. Coming to the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute under this apostle, you know her passion, you know her fire, but you know her academics and scholastics. You know yeah. you're going to get quality training, not just deep information. We can go to a lot of places and say, wow, that's deep, that's deep, that's deep. But you really can't implement it. When you go back, getting that quality, top-tier, four-star, five-star level education from the author of the Prophet's Dictionary, the author of the Prophet's Handbook, Prophecy, God's Divine Communications Media, and the list goes on on the subject would be the greatest thing. When people want to learn about leadership, they go to Maxwell. When they want to learn about money, they go to other people. So when you want to learn about the prophetic, you yeah. come to Dr. Paula Price. That's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I say. That's what you do. When you want to be the best, you learn from the best. And so that's my thought on why people should come to TPTI. Yeah. Because it's second to none. 
Why would you go? Come on. Don't get that drive-through training. Get that five-star training. Make it happen. <laughs> there's, there's something about that drive-through cheeseburger. And even when you get a burger, you've got to love cheeseburgers from a four- or five-star restaurant. And it's the same thing here in Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute with Dr. Paula Price. It is not the same. Yeah. And certificate-based training yes. as well. Yes. So at the end of every Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, we provide a certificate that will chart the actual hours of training that you received. Um, you're a Price University student. That can go towards certain things for your, your courses. If you're an ordination track, like in the credentialing program, then that counts towards hours of time spent in your training, your education. So we believe in, in returning something back and reinvesting into your life as well. And I would say it's not, I would just add to that, it's not your average conference at all. You know, it's not just yeah. a time of talking heads. <laughs> You know, where you're coming and you're just kind of bobbling along and listening to different speakers, yeah. but um, it's an opportunity for you to actually grow in your knowledge or kind of migrating from class to class. We have a unique thing in the evening called our evening tracks where you're able to kind of split into tracks and learn subject-based mm -hmm. teaching mm -hmm. so that you can kind of come away from this event literally with your notebook your tablet. You're going to go shopping cool. to get another one. It's <laughs> full of what you need. So it's definitely, it's class-based, it's yeah. training-based. So it's, it's, it's like being able to do summer school at Price University here in Tulsa for these three sure. days. Modular. Yes, taking yeah. that module aspect and, and just putting it into a three-day period. Um, and we're so excited about what God is doing. We are. And we're out of time. That's it. Already. Did you have anything else? All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to the Paula Price Show, where Dr. Price was just here. <laughs> and she'll be back next week for sure. So we love you guys. Tune in to Sunday, Scripturally Organic, yes. Culturally Unmodified Christianity, Sunday School at 8, 8, 8 a.m. Yes, 8 Central Standard Time. We go live around 11 a.m. Central Standard Time for the Congregation of the Mighty. We will see you there. God bless.